Another episode of Fratello on Air. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Frankfurt Online, Germany. And I'm Balash Renzi, coming to you from Karlsruhe, Germany. How are you, Balash? I'm good, Mike. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I uh, oh. flew in from the US of A yesterday morning, mm-hmm. right before a bomb cyclone was about to hit the East Coast. Don't you oh. like that name? A bomb cyclone? Yeah. But it wasn't that um, serious, was it? Yeah, they got some wind and, and yeah. uh, snow and rain and stuff like that. I mean, admittedly, yeah, it would not Germany have been, for you. Yeah, w- w- <laughs> wouldn't have been fun to fly through. So yeah, I'm sure. glad. Uh, I mean, it was the most tranquil flight I've I've taken, mm. and I've had really good luck lately. So yeah. Have you easy. been working or was it a private trip? No, it was all work. Mm-hmm. And when I say in and out, I got there the Sunday before, mm-hmm. which was pretty wild because i landed in dc and it was sorry to use a fahrenheit term here but it was 75 degrees and sunny and then two days later there was snow so Mm. it was uh all over the place but it was a it was a good visit but man i I tell you the older i get those um one week visits are (laughs) kind of a a smack to the system Mm. i found myself up at like four in the morning going for a run and that by the way (laughs) After four months of doing nothing but Peloton and running for the first time, holy cow. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. I know. I've been doing this for the last month, but before that, I was also... I mean, I'm going to a personal training once or twice a week, but it's that's nothing compared to um, a five, six-kilometer run, um, especially if you haven't done it in a a while. And it's it's funny how the body remembers muscle memory is Mm. really crazy, but still... Um, my speed is nowhere to, compared to last year. Well, I, uh, you know, after doing all that cycling cardio wise running, it was super easy, right? Mm-hmm. But literally the next day and for the next three days, I felt like, um, I'd done 20 minutes of squats and <laughs> <laughs> I, I went online and, um, of course, you know, there's a topic for everything these days mm-hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. It's not uncommon. You know, you think like, oh, I'm in great shape, but they are two very different exercises. I guess I'd liken it to like, uh, when people go skiing, you know what I mean? They, they mm-hmm. use muscles that they just don't, don't use. So anyhow, lesson learned, I will run now at least once a week to make sure I don't have that again, because traveling, you know, running's the, that's the easy thing to do. Right. 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 Especially if you're in a hotel, which has a um, treadmill. a gym with a treadmill, yeah, with a treadmill, just go on in 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I heard that um, one of my trainers told me or coaches back in the day that um, these um, massage guns are actually mm-hmm. a good way to warm up the muscles instead of doing those stretchings at home. And so I bought one. I haven't used uh, it before the run. I use it after run okay. yesterday. But yeah, but it's um, it's a good way to to well, of course you have to stretch anyways, right? Before mm-hmm. and after, but it helps the recovery. So this is something I'd like to try it on. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good idea. We got one of those I think around Christmas time, and I need to I need to put it somewhere you know near my exercise stuff mm-hmm. so that I see it and use it. And they're very different from like these uh, massage things from twenty odd years ago. The the um, the movement isn't quite as, uh, how would I say strong? It's, it's more of like a pulsing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's just very fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's a good, I, good idea. I, I do like the, um, the Peloton app, which I I used while I was traveling has these, you know, five, 10 minute stretches for after running or after cycling. And, that makes it really easy to do it if you have something like that. Because I find if I stretch by myself, I mm-hmm. just do a pretty bad job. So, yeah, you always miss something. That's why I, I always did. Uh, I had I watched a, a YouTube video of a guy warming up, stretching, warming up for a run, mm-hmm. and it was like five, six exercises, 
Uh, you can do at home or wherever, basically. And I I used to do that before every run, and plus some squats because my my thighs. I I, I usually feel the the muscles there. Sure. Um, so I usually do some squats before and after, and that seemed to do the trick. And that I I ran two three times a week, but as I said, I was yesterday, and the pace is okay. It's a six something, six twenty, whatever, mm-hmm. six twenty five. It's okay, but but um, yeah, but you feel it, especially when you haven't done it in a week or so. Yeah, and all we do is sit at a desk, right? So yeah, so not yeah. better when you get older and stuff just locks in place. So. Yeah, not at all. So um, today, and and again, to our our reader who asked us the chronograph movement uh, question, honestly, it's probably going to be about a month until we we really get to it. And we're going to record some secret here. We're going to record a couple episodes back to back because Balash is moving around. I'll be moving around in the next couple weeks, and we want to make sure we keep the content coming. So... Today, we're going to focus on Hamilton, and I promise you that we are not purposely hitting all the Swatch Group prints. It's just uh, came to mind, and and in fact, the second episode we'll record today is not Swatch Group related, so there's the proof. And we'll kick off with our Henga Lanks controller and just a touch of news, and uh, then we'll get into it. So, Mm -hmm. Balash, um, the news piece I wanted to hit very quickly is uh, just that the that Ming has come out with a new watch, and I know that they can be a controversial brand, but they're one that I really like. And they uh, they announced the other week the twenty two point oh one GMT, which uses the Salida SW three thirty two. That's the uh, same movement that our friend Chase just debuted in his humble GMT that came yeah. out a couple weeks ago. And both watches, by the way, are really cool. Um, I wanted to bring up the Ming because came in, it's coming in two versions. The first of which um, last week had its had its uh, sale window for existing owners, and then the public, and you know, it sold out very quickly. Thousand of each. The 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 one I should say a thousand total of of the green version. And this coming week, there is a gilt version, which is a very Different colorway for them. They've focused a lot on grays and blacks and blues, and uh, that's the one that I am going to shoot for. It is a really unique looking watch. I mean, of course, it carries a lot of the Ming styling traits, but has a lot of has some detail on there that reminds me of their more expensive watches. However, this watch I think is around thirty two hundred and fifty Swiss francs, and has some Schwartz Etienne uh, work in the background, such as decorating the movement and also removing the sweep seconds hand, which keeps it kind of in line with their, with all their other watches. And I'm pretty excited about it. I think that they will um, not ship till the end of the year. So we've got a while to wait, but hopefully I'll get my hands on a prototype and do, do a Mm -hmm. review. So I I wanted to bring it up only because I find it interesting on the GMT subject, and maybe this is a topic for another show, but I think, you know, people, people kind of grouched at us or grouched at me when I, when I did make the comment that the GMT is one of the more useful complications out there, you know, aside from like a date window or something, or just a, a, a rotating bezel that you can use to time things. And I like it not for necessarily travel, uh, although it's good. I like it for, you know, reminding me of a time zone from somewhere else, you know, if I'm doing calls or if I'm just, you know, on the road or whatever, thinking about what time it is in my home area so I can give Mm -hmm. my wife or daughter a call. But um, the other thing that came up is there's this true GMT versus a collar GMT and the SW330-2 is, I guess, what some refer to as a collar, where you can set the 24-hour hand, which I kind of like, um, for, versus the other, like the Rolex GMT, where you change the hour hand position. So yeah. I, I'm wondering what your your take is on this, and I'm hitting you cold with this, but I'm, I'm just curious. Do you care? Mm. So... 
if I like GM, GMT as a complication, yes, I think it's an interesting complication. Do I use it? Not really, because I tend to do the, the math in my head rather than uh, look at my watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I've been I've been doing this, you know, pretty much ever since I have to deal with people in different time zones, whether it's my friends in the US or while I'm, uh, when I'm away or whatever the case may be. Um, but to answer your question, I think the um, I'm the the GNT hand uh, type of guy instead of the hour hand. So I, I would I would stick to that because I guess this is more of the traditional or or old school or vintage way, right? Of of setting well, a GMT uh, for the most part, it was at least. Honestly, when you really think about it. <laughs> The old GMTs, of course, you couldn't adjust anything except for the bezel, right? You right. could, you of course, you could change the hour hand when you landed, and then use the bezel. So, to me, that works pretty darn well. Aside from yeah. the fact that, okay, a bezel could get knocked around or something like that, um, but I think it's a lot of. Um, I mean, okay, watches. We talk about the details, but I I find it amazing that there's so much passion around this subject. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, yeah. I, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, the GMT, the Rolex GMT movement, when I move the hour around or jump the hour, mm-hmm. it always feels, dare I say a little bit flimsy when I do that. It kind of feels like springy and weird. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't like it. Uh, I, I like to advance that 24 hour hand. So mm-hmm. it's just me. I guess. Yeah, it's a. I guess sometimes people, especially people who are not in the industry, like like we are, um, pure watch fans. They they tend to focus on different stuff, different stuff that we, or at least I, would never think about. You know, like sometimes I don't know. I, I look at a new watch or I, I review something, and then somebody messages me that they really like that the that the the logs, for example. There's a drill lock hole, mm-hmm. and I, Sometimes I wouldn't even recognize that. I'm like, okay, cool. But even if I did, it's just like whatever, right? Roll I mean, past it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do like that as well for certain watches. I like it with the GMT, for example. Getting back to the GMT the Rolex, my Rolex, uh, I like the the drill lock holes because we know that Rolex spring bars are a bit different and mm-hmm. it's easier to to change the strap or the bracelet. But for the most part, okay, I, I don't really focus on it. Or oh, they don't like the frame around the the date aperture or that kind of stuff which is to me very minuscule compared to the whole product but um yeah i guess different strokes are different folks right like this what yeah. whatever rocks your boat yep. um so it's interesting always to listen to these comments because they they tend to focus on other stuff yeah so maybe one other little thing yesterday in the mail i got your uh well not your but i got the stickers that were mm. uh taken off of your of your post thank you for supporting yeah so we ordered a a handful of them and now i need to figure out where to put them so yeah if you don't know what mike is talking about or if you haven't listened to which means you haven't listened to the last episode go back and listen to it and and then go to the um well either instagram the art of horology and i think it's the uh underscore art uh, underscore of underscore horology, or you can go to their website, um, which is uh, art dash of dash horology.co.uk. It's a British site, it's a British company, and they did um, a special sticker to support um, a charity that's dealing with um, children, um, refugees escaping Ukraine. And um, you can order a batch of stickers and um, or I don't know. Can you order one? I'm not sure if it's one. I think by you one. can do one. I mean, we like yeah. I said. I think we ordered four or five. So yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's the thing. You can order that sticker, and uh, the proceeds uh, goes to the to the charity to the children, the refugee children of Ukraine, and of course there are many other awesome um, charities around this topic, this sad sad topic. So make sure you check it out online or uh, social media. Absolutely. Well, anyhow, very quick service, turnaround, so always mm. good there. Mm. So let's move into the Hangelenks Controle Balash, mm-hmm. and I would like to know what you're wearing today. 
Yeah, so we're going to talk about Hamilton, as you said. And I have a few, not a lot, just a few. And I chose the American classic, Intramatic Auto Chrono, mm. which is a very special watch to me for a number of reasons. Um, this is the uh, blue and white verse panda. So the dial is blue with the two white subdials and the white um, bezel uh, subdials at three and nine. And then the date aperture is at six o'clock. And um, this is one of the, the early ones, right? Like eventually they, I think well, the first one was the, the black and white one and then the white and black and then eventually the this blue one. And then now there's also a green version and um, on different straps and bracelets and, and whatever. And uh, it's 40 millimeters, so it's bigger than the the vintage counterparts. So this is a, they took the inspiration from a couple of vintage chronographs, which might come back later on during this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, this is, uh, mine is the blue. I, I like the blue um, because, I don't know, I just tend to gravitate towards blue watches for whatever reason, blue dials, but also blue stuff like shirts and things like that. And um, it's a bit funny because it's not black and white. It's not the, the traditional panda or the traditional reverse panda, but it's the blue can, you know, in, from certain angles, it looks kind of dark. And um, that's why uh, um, I, I kind of dig it. And I put it, normally it comes on a leather strap, a brown leather strap, but I put it on the Forster bone clip bracelet. Mm. And I have to say that's a pretty interesting uh, combination. I'm always on offense when it comes to the bone clip because um, I I don't know. The vintage ones, especially you just talked about flimsy, that also feels kind of flimsy. But the new one does not. And I have to say it's not surprisingly, but it's exceptionally comfortable. Oh, um it's like and, you're wearing nothing, honestly. It's really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is. And so it, it's an it's an edgy look, but whenever I put it on a watch, I must admit, I never not like the look. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's the Hamilton Intramatic Auto Chrono. Nice choice. On the bone clip. Thank you. So what are you wearing today? Well, kind of keeping with my news topic, I am wearing a Ming today, and mm. I'm wearing the 17.09. This is the one that I got <clears throat> that was out, I guess, last year. They had uh, a little bit of a false start with some some issues on the <laughs> jumping hour. So mm -hmm. there we go, talking about you know quick change hours. And I got this one... Picked it up a couple months ago, and yesterday I put it on their universal bracelet, which looks mm -hmm. great. This is a um, it's an automatic, so it's a little bit chunkier than the manual wind piece that I own from them, and it's kind of a sporty look. So it it actually being below forty millimeters, I think it's like thirty seven something. It fits well. Uh, into the trend of smooth bezel, bezel date just that I've been wearing lately with uh, blue dials and very comfy. They make a really, really great bracelet. So that's the one with the, what's this? Um, let me think. The clue de Paris pattern on this, on the dial in the center. Yes. This, yes. This blue. Right. Right. Yeah. They made blue and burgundy and, mm -hmm. I chose the blue because it's just a color I, I mm -hmm. wear more and I really like it on the, on the bracelet. So I wore it last night out to dinner and still got it on mm. my wrist and probably it will be the, uh, the big wear this week. So for those, I know some people are still waiting. There's like a last batch that's shipping soon. Uh, I still think that, that, uh, people will be excited when they get it. it. It's a really nice watch that wears really, really well. So mm. yeah, it's a beautiful piece. And I'm, yeah. And I'm not really hearing so, any issues after they did the fix. So, so we're both wearing blue watches. We are wearing blue watches. There and with that, let's move into Hamilton. And this is a company that I have a real uh, affinity towards because I lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is of course their historic headquarters. Mm-hmm. And Hamilton Balash was founded in 1892 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And 
they uh, essentially produced in the Lancaster area up until 1969. And then they, they moved everything over to Switzerland and they, the reason for the move was they purchased uh, Buren and in 1966. And I think just uh, movement wise and everything else, it, it made sense. And it's kind of a shame when they closed in Lancaster, um, and if you go back there now, in fact, their old headquarters, which has a really neat clock tower, has um, uh, it's turned into an apartment building. Yeah, it? it's, it's an apartment complex, and it's yeah. it's right outside of downtown Lancaster, which is a nice place to visit, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you go to the the actual downtown, there's still kind of by the old uh, market a clock there that I think was donated by Hamilton in the early seventies. So they still had some sort of a tie to the area, maybe some offices and things. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to Columbia, Pennsylvania, which is only about 20 odd minutes away, you have the national association of watch and clock collectors museum. That's where they're headquartered. And there are a lot of Hamilton pieces in there, just a lot of interesting things. Some, you know, experimental pieces that they were doing. Um, and look, Hamilton, it's, it's kind of hard to believe this today, but they were massive, uh, back in the day. And, you know, if you were an executive in the thirties, forties or whenever you didn't look at, um, you didn't look at Rolex, You there? Continue from still had some offices. This is what what I heard last. Okay. Yeah. So they still had some offices there, and um, if you get the chance, if if you're there, um, you know you can see some of those buildings. There are also some other areas in Lancaster that are apartments, but used to be where radium dials were made. So suppliers to Hamilton and. Mm-hmm. Then in Columbia, Pennsylvania, you have the National Association of Watch and Clock Collectors Museum. So yep. a lot of Hamilton stuff there. Really cool museum. Very worthwhile. They've got a library there that's kind of neat. And sometimes they'll even sell old catalogs there. I picked up some 60s and 70s Breitling catalogs that they had duplicates of for like a buck. And <laughs> just kind of a neat neat place to float around and and, and check out. And I think what people don't realize about Hamilton um, because the U S isn't really what you think of when you think of watchmaking is that if you were an executive or something in the twenties or thirties, you weren't necessarily looking at Rolex, you know, you were Hamilton was a a heck of a watch. And as such, you know, I'll, I'll, the first watch that I'll talk about in a minute is, um, is a good example of how prestigious, uh, the company was, not to say that they're not a great watch today, but they really were the go-to in America offering, you know, everything from, you know, more, more approachable watches to, to very expensive gold cased watches. And they also did things like uh, marine chronometers. They yep. made railroad watches. So incredibly yep. accurate stuff. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a great historic brand, uh, you know, whenever I think of Hamilton, I think of Lancaster, even though they've not been there for quite a long time. Yeah, I think it's a a, a bit of a, an, well, I wouldn't say issue, but that's the thing when it comes to bigger groups, right? Like the Swatch Group, you, you buy brands and then you reposition the brand. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you reposition the history, if it makes any sense. Yeah. Like these are all from t- from the lower end or the lower mid or whatever, uh, however Swatch Group calls those brands, Tissot, Sartina, uh, um, Hamilton, whatever. These are all very, very good, old, prestigious brands back in the day. They all had amazing watches in their past. And of course, when they were bought by Swatch Group and, and they reconstructed the brand, some had to to yeah become the, the I guess, um, the lower, or they, they were positioned lower than others. But um, you can also look at the other way that if Swatch Group you know, didn't buy them, there wouldn't have been a, a Hamilton by now, maybe. Exactly. So, yeah. um, but that doesn't mean, actually what I want to say is that doesn't mean that 
they don't have an amazing history and they were not capable of of making um super complicated and and, and as you said precise and and special and important watches let that be history or historical pieces or uh, watchmaking history um you know Elvis wore Hamilton right that's mm-hmm. one of the one if not the most yeah, the famous uh, Hamilton wearer and then a few decades later Will Smith wore the same watch and Men in Black but now all jokes aside there it's really a great brand and uh, I'm happy that we're dealing them today so having said that why don't you start this time with your piece that you kind of hinted Sure. And just because we've mentioned it with the other two brands that we've covered, Certina and Tissot, uh, 1974 was actually when Hamilton was sold to SSIH, which became the Swatch Group. So they've mm-hmm. been with them for a long, long time. time. Yeah. yeah. Long time. So yeah, the first one I'm going to mention is maybe a bit of a surprise, but it, um, it is the Hamilton Piping Rock, which is a mm. watch that first debuted in 1928 and was made until 1935. And then it had a, a return in 1948 to 1954 with a slightly different case and movement. And then it came back in the 90s as a reissue for a period. But the Piping Rock mm-hmm. um, is a 29 by 41 millimeter <laughs> Art Deco design, uh, the original version. And... Available in 14 karat white gold or yellow gold. And Mm. it's well known for having hinged lugs and a black enamel external uh, Roman numeral hour track. And these are, you know, there's, there's probably about five or 10 historic Hamilton designs. You mentioned the Ventura from the 50s. You know, the mm-hmm. piping rock amongst collectors is is a very well-known watch. And as such, you know, these are in nice condition, three, 4,000 on up. And what, what I found interesting with the piping rock is that it was um, given, so back, back in the day, instead of rings, when baseball teams won the uh, World Series, they gave them watches that were inscribed with their name on it and something on the back. And Mm -hmm. in fact, the piping rock was given to the 1928 New York Yankees. So Mm -hmm. I believe that was the murderers row team. So you had folks like Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Tony Lazari on there. And, um, was checking 2014. I'm sure it would go for much more now, but Lou Gehrig's piping rock that was given to him for winning the world series sold for 340,000. So that was eight years ago and I'm sure it would do much more today. Um, really unique watch Uh, again, manual wine movement, all made in the United States. Uh, and I had thought at one point when they did the reissues of, getting one of these. Um, in fact, uh, the first nice, I call it nice watch that I ever bought was a Hamilton Ventura reissue back in like 1990, I think. Mm -hmm. And quartz, but I still have that watch. And the, these, if they weren't at the same time, they were, you know, kind of doing this succession of reissues from their past. And it's a neat piece. I, I think, you know, white gold or yellow gold uh, with that black enamel, it's very different from from other watches made by other companies. So that's my first one. That's a great pick. I like the watch. I like the the look and I like the this kind of round uh, case put in the middle of a tonal shape. So you have the, the, the corners... Uh, which is almost the the bezel almost reminds me of the um, Omega Constellation Manhattans, at mm-hmm. least the design. Yeah, you're right. There is a little bit of that, isn't there? Yeah, but it's gold and the black and beautiful pieces. I guess the problem, obviously, with these watches, is, as you said, they are very very small, like twenty eight millimeter, thirty millimeter uh, diameter is is compared to today's standards. It's really a, a very very small watch, even for somebody who has a smaller wrist, but. It's definitely um, an iconic look. And if, of course, uh, you don't think it's iconic, then look how many times it's been reissued. As mm. you said, it's been two two or three times, right? They also did the chronograph version, which just maybe in um, kind of 
took inspiration from the bezel, let's just say. Um, but that's definitely a, a great start. Um, and a, definitely a beautiful watch. Yeah. So I, I thought I would, I think we're going to have a, a pretty diverse list. And I, I for mm. once, did not choose just one style of watch. So <laughs> uh, I kind of did. Well, <laughs> no, I didn't actually. I didn't. I didn't. But well, you be the judge. Um, so moving on from that, I picked the first one. I actually uh, picked the watch that you have. And this is the, the Hamilton. So there is the Hamilton Cape, Cape Horn 600, right? The super compressor diver. Mm -hmm. But I picked the one that is not the Cape Horn, which is exactly the same that you have. Okay. Which looks like the Cape Horn, but it doesn't say Cape Horn on the dial. All it says is Hamilton automatic. And um, that's the one that I picked. So... We are talking about what late sixties, early seventies, thirty-six mm -hmm. millimeter case, um, internal rotating bezel, two crown—one for the normal things and one for the uh, for like setting the time and one for the internal bezel. And um, as I said, not all of them were were called Cape Horns. Um, some the ones that were called there, you have a uh, the Cape Horn above the six o'clock position. And otherwise, you have the Hamilton name, automatic, and then the the H logo uh, dial, um, dial. Sorry, uh, date at three o'clock. And um, yeah, these are these are super neat watches. I mean, of course, I can I can only speak um, from experience, and I have seen them a few times. But you're an owner, so I'm I'm, I'm relying on your uh, opinion on these ones. Um, the 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 size is not too big. The case is super compressor, super compressor, as I said which is always, I guess, the added bonus with these divers. And it's just a very neat, very clean design, silver dial, big um, square indexes, no numerals aside from the bezel, and then a 60-second uh, inner rotating bezel. And the price is also not too bad. So around 12 to 15, 1600, you can pick one up. I guess not the Cape, uh, Cape Horn model, but this no name or no branded 600 um, diver, but the charm is the same. Yep, I agree. Mm. I, for whatever reason, I, I they made I think three different styles. Like you said, the Cape Horn. They have ones I think with a 600 on the dial and ones without. Um, mm -hmm. And these wear beautifully, like you said, 36 millimeters. So they're not big, and you know it's pretty much all dial and mm -hmm. but relatively thick no for the <clears throat> size yeah kind of chunky um i have um i don't know can't remember the reason i have two bracelets for it but they were made by jb champion mm -hmm. and a really nice bracelet so um not that fun to size, but it's one of those where you, you push from both sides on the link and there it's, it's spring loaded. So you push mm -hmm. and then you pull, you know, and I think something went flying across the room when I did that, but whatever, I didn't need that link anyway. And, uh, um, but no, you're right. A very clean dial. And I think, you know, there, there's no shortage of 36 millimeter super compressors out there, but nope, there are, very few with a dial this clean and a lot of them are dark dials. And of course, a lot of them have aged these, these still look really good. And it's kind of funny to me why they haven't reissued this one. Uh, especially in light of the fact like your, the chronograph you mentioned is from that same era and it's kind of styling yeah. consistent, right? Um, I believe another Swatch Group brand might have done a similar uh, one, a similar super compressor case one and i guess it might be an internal issue okay could be the longing that because it's you yeah, know it's one of long, legend divers could be but i'm yeah. not sure to be honest yeah well that was a much that was the the big size super compressor and i yeah. and i guess maybe part of the concern is you know do they want to make a 36 millimeter watch or would they upsize it they'd probably upsize it and mm. But no, great, great pick. And they are really findable and strangely, usually in good condition. So, yeah, I guess the people who bought them were not really, maybe at the time, there were much better dive watches or they were more the 
gentleman's diver, you know, so they didn't see as much action. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just obviously speculating. Yeah, it, it, it could have been one of those things where they didn't sell very well and they just sort of blood yeah. them out over the next 10 years, you know, or that. Yeah. 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 That could also be the case, but I mean, the size is great. The price is, is not too crazy. I mean, I wouldn't pay crazy money for it. Um, it looks good. The watch looks good on a, on a strap. It looks good on a bracelet. So yeah, yeah that's I, my, that's my first pick. I think it's a, it's a very, very sweet watch. Yeah. I, I like it because a lot of those super compressors from that period are made by no name brands. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, unless the design is something truly special, I prefer to go with a brand that I've heard of and it just, it resonates more with me. That's all. So. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And I, as I said, I, I thought so a few going for very affordable prices. Let's just put it this way. So very cool. So okay. the next one I'm going to pick is also a wild card and I don't think you'll, you'll have seen this one coming. So I cool. chose the 1968 Hamilton Odyssey 2001. Oh. And this is a wild watch. It is chunky. It is almost built like a bullhead where the the watch head is thicker on one end than another, but it's a time only watch. Yeah, and uh, and it looks very much like sort to cut you off. Very much like the, some of their uh, chronographs. I'm guessing from the same era. Yes. So if you flip this watch over, in fact, the back is signed Fontainebleau, which mm -hmm. is their caliber eleven chronograph, and you mm -hmm. know they made a whole line around that. But the yeah. Odyssey 2001 is notable because Hamilton actually made a watch for um, Stanley Kubrick's 2000, 2001 Space Odyssey, which was spelled differently, by the way, with an E-Y. And Hamilton reissued that, that watch, I guess, several years ago. And it's almost like a big cuff, very futuristic, 60s looking. And yeah. Apparently the watch never made it to the screen, but they designed it for that. And because they were you mean involved, the, you mean the design, the, well, the, the, re, the, uh, the reissue. The, yeah. It was, yeah. it was designed for the movie. And like mm -hmm. I say, it's this big cuff with a, with, mm -hmm. with a watch face in the middle of it and some funky buttons and things. And I don't think it actually got any screen time in the movie, but it was made for the movie. So whatever shot it was supposed to be seen in, maybe they cut for, I, I don't know the reason, mm -hmm. but regardless in 1968, they did make this watch, which was kind of an ode to the thing that they had made for the movie, but a slightly more traditional thing. I mean, as a round case, a normal, a normal bracelet, but it very much the watch face takes from the watch face of the movie prop. Mm-hmm. Um, but they changed the spelling of Odyssey to O-D-Y-S-S-E-E -E in order to not have to deal with um, copyright issues with the movie. Uh. <clears throat> but it is related. And like I said, the, the watch face is really weird. It's slimmer at 6 o'clock than at 12. So the watch is kind of canted towards the wearer to make it easier to look at. And mm -hmm. it has a date down at 6 o'clock. Kind of a neat, uh, neat colorways of here again, like gray and white, and it used the caliber six ninety four, which was basically a rebadged Eta twenty four seventy two, and on its first generation, it came uh, with triangular loomed hands and a mesh bracelet, and then it switched to baton hands and an NSA bracelet, and hmm. around thirty eight millimeters. Um, these are at any given time, you know, there's probably about five to 10 of them on eBay and the prices are anywhere from like 800 bucks to 2000, which I wouldn't pay 2000 bucks for one of these, but the, it, it's a really cool watch, you know, neat stuff, like really nice bracelets all signed. And then you've got things like, um, sign crown that's that's hidden so it's flush with the case so this thing was really supposed to look futuristic and mm -hmm. uh, i read a neat article about how to take the case apart which is apparently a real yeah. pain a real because i wanted pain. to say isn't it something like a like a 
like a sandwich kind of case where you yes. have to push it through this ring, something like Omega did with the Mark Four, I think, and the uh, 125 Speedmaster. Mm-hmm. It's a f- similar kind of design, right? Yeah. So the the article I read, the watchmaker got it got it apart, but he said, "Yeah, clearly I'm missing a tool that they must have provided to their <laughs> their ads at the time, and wasn't wasn't." helped he said by the fact that basically the case had rusted together so yeah you do see these with quite a bit of dial damage usually and i think one day i will i will try to find one of these if i can find one for around a thousand bucks on bracelet in decent shape uh i I think it'd be a cool addition here again this also looks like a thomas rosputinsky watch (laughs) Uh, but i've i've always really um like this era of Hamilton, it's it. They made some funky stuff. Uh, they also made well, like the watch you just showed, uh, the the super compressor. It's all within that same time period. So yeah, thought I would, thought I would give our listeners something not so traditional from Hamilton here. That's an excellent pick, and I have to say um, that I have a book by Horolo Vox. We talked about this, I think, many episodes ago. He had a book. There's an Instagram account. Ah, yeah, that's that one with all the wild watches. In exactly there, right? called Horolo Vox, and if you if you go to their uh, website, Horolo, as H O R O L O V O X dot com, he has a book about all these crazy, crazy, crazy watches from the Sotos to the Jura Prigger Casquette, the Hoyer um, Ford RS Split Lab and whatever. And you don't really have to scroll too down on his Instagram to see one of these. You see a Hamilton uh, Fontainebleau square one, mm-hmm. and then you scroll scroll a bit down and then you see the, the exact watch that you're talking about. It's the one on the NSA bracelet, um, so I guess that's the later model. He says it's from 1969, the rarest version of the 1969 Hamilton Odyssey, 2001 Fontainebleau, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you're if you interested in these quirky pieces, then I suggest you check Coral of Vox out. But in any case, it's a, it's a very, very cool watch. And I like the bracelet, actually, that the NSA bracelet that comes with it. Yeah. And um, I don't want to be your watchmaker when you send it to a, to a service. <laughs> we'll give that to Timo, right? <laughs> Imagine, I'm not going to do that in person for sure. <laughs> Via email and uh, and the DHL package. No, nothing yeah, in person. And run away. <laughs> and run away. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. indeed. Okay. So what's your second one? So my second one is, um, well, something that made... The re-edition made waves, and this is the um, the Hamilton Military W four six three seven four, which is um, it's not one specific watch, right? It's a bunch of watches, bunch of military watches, U.S. military watches from the seventies that served as inspiration for the Hamilton uh, khaki um, mechanical khaki uh, khaki field, and. These watches, it's funny because when you look them up on like Chrono 24 and stuff, they're over a thousand euros, which I think it's ludicrous because you can pick this up for around three, four hundred euros from Germany for obvious historical reasons um, or from eBay.com. And we're talking about mid to late 70s, right? You can you can actually check the date of the watch because there's a there's the inscription on the back. It says watch wrist, uh, general purpose, military, and then the number Hamilton, and then a bunch of numbers, part number, et cetera, et cetera. And at the bottom, there's always the the month and the year of production. So usually mid to late 70s. But this is uh, a hand-wound watch, very basic. I think it's a seven-joule hand-wound movement, but only 33, 34 millimeter in diameter. So it's a small, small timepiece with um, fixed spring bars, Mm-hmm. Um, taking an 18 millimeter, possibly NATO strap or or Zulu strap or or something like that. But there's a bunch of dial versions, and the one I'm looking at, the one I had in mind, is the the classic, which is the black dial, white uh, numerals one to twelve, and then inside the 24 hour numerals as well, so 13 to 24, and uh, the tiny triangle indexes at every hour. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, um, would you call it sword hands? Not, not really, but also kind of not though, yeah. stick, stick yeah. hands. Yeah, kind of like that. White hands with loom and a white um, second hand. And that's it, the, a brushed steel case. So 
very basic model. You have the different versions for for um, I think that you had the one for different different I guess departments in in the military. I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but um, there might be a slight change in the dial design, but overall they are the same. And in the case back, I mean, you can you can Google and and look up all the numbers, what they mean, and which department and whatnot. I I, I have not done that, but. I think it's pretty cool. Also, if you look for if you're well, if you're born in the '70s and you look for a, a a birth year watch, you can you can actually find a birth month watch, right? Oh wow! Yeah, you can check true. that yeah. ni- 1977 March, for example, it's the one that I'm looking at right now. So, if you're born in March 1977, for 390 euros, you get a birth year birth month month watch. Very cool. So that's my pick. Yeah, those are really nice. And I, I think that's one of those watches. I mean, I was just, I just popped one up on eBay and here again, it's uh, in Germany, 375 euros and it looked really nice. So mm-hmm. I think it's something that, um, worth looking for, honestly. And there, you said they're 34 millimeter, right? So, yeah, so these are issued military watches and a bunch of brands made them, but mm-hmm. so not only Hamilton, but I think also Benrus did some, and yep. um, I'm not sure about their sizes, but these were 33, 34 in between, uh, 33 and 34 millimeter. Yeah. No, very good, very good choice, and I think to your point, you know, three, four hundred bucks, you can get a really neat piece of history there. Mm-hmm. So, my last watch is um, is also a military piece, and I chose what I I think is one of the the great looking military chronographs and that's the 1970 often known as the RAF chronograph and Mm. this is the asymmetric two pusher piece that actually replaced the Lamania mono pusher for the Ministry of Defense so for the uh, I guess the the British forces and Mm -hmm. These watches were, I was kind of surprised by this, made from 1970 until 1982. I didn't realize they went that far. And they were issued to the RAF, the Royal Air Force. And those on the case back apparently start with 6BB. And then you have the Royal Navy starting with 0552. And there's some other numerals on there, such as the year it was issued. And I think they also you know, cross that out and put another year in if it's serviced. And I want to say the one that I own actually was in Australia for one of those forces. So something under the Commonwealth and, um, they were issued as well by CWC, Newmark and Persista. And I found a really great website. Uh, well, before I get to that, you know, 39 millimeter chronograph by 46 millimeters use the value 7733, which is a workhorse, a lot of painted, uh, loom on there. And like I said, neat, neat piece with that asymmetric styling. And they were issued by Hamilton. And I would recommend that everyone go to a website called cwcaddict.com because there is an incredible amount of research that, uh, the creator of this site uh, did on these watches and I, I had known this for a while and it's not something that has, has really been out. And, and I wonder if you'll know this Balash, but the mm. pieces in the seventies. So I guess mine would fall under that. Um, I didn't think it was all of them, but apparently it was at least in this article, all of these were made by take a guess. Um, well, Hoyer used to make watches for Hamilton. Breitling. But, okay, Breitling. So that's pretty wild, isn't it? Interesting, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so they've got a serial number on the inside of the case back, and apparently with that you can do some checking, although some of the Breitling records were destroyed, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I bought this watch. It's the only time in my life, Balash, that I've bought a watch at auction online and, uh, you know, aside from eBay, but I bought it at Watches of Knightsbridge and Mm -hmm. I think it was like five years ago or so. And I paid, I want to say 1200 pounds. And now these watches, I think are every bit of 3000 to 4,500 depending. And they're neat to buy. I think, um, just the ability to decode the case back is sort of fun. And then 
you know, just looking at the history here again, fixed spring bars. So you wear them on a Zulu or a NATO and the loom is often kind of redone and, and stuff like that. You know, when these watches were turned in, they were worked on. Uh, so it's different than buying a normal historic chronograph. You, you have to put up with some, some meddling that's been done, mm. uh, but cool piece of history. And I wish they were still around that 1200 pound <laughs> mark. Cause they, they were forever and they wear beautifully and just very distinctive looking. So that's my third. It's a nice one. Yeah. I think that's part of the charm, right? This the bit of Wabi on the, on the white. Sometimes you mismatched hands and things like that. And I guess these would just come back and, uh, watchmakers at the Air Force or whatever just put whatever they had together and 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 give them out or repair them or or, or whatever they did with them. I I think now that we talked about two military pieces, it comes to mind that I'll drop another book, um, um, and this is Conrad Knerim's British military timepieces in German military. It's actually two books, right? Konrad Krim is a German gentleman and he's into military timepieces deep, deep, deep. And his mm-hmm. first book was the German military timepieces, but everything from, from um, ship chronometers all the way to, to, to chronographs and, and everything in between. And then his second book was um, British military timepieces. And it's a bilingual book, English and German. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if I've sent you this picture, but if not, I'll look it up, look your watch up and I'll send some photos what what they have or he has um, on file about these pieces. So um, if you're interested, other than the website that you mentioned, you guys can also check out um, and buy the book. It's about 150 euros or so each on Amazon. And and I think even he even sells it on his website. So... Uh, that's a that's also a very cool piece of uh, of literature to have and well this watch is, is is seriously cool and I know the CWCs the new marks and stuff like that but this is a seriously cool looking piece so yeah good job on this one thanks so what's your uh, third yeah so my last one is um, the reference seven seven twenty three chronograph which is a Walju seven seven thirty and this is the chronograph that um, they, as I said in the beginning, get the Hangelings controller, that they use as inspiration when they created uh, the Intramatic Chrono. And as far as I know, this is the first wrist chronograph model to have the Hamilton name on the dial. This is uh, this, These watches were made, the reason I mentioned Hoyer is because mm-hmm. they were made by Hoyer mm-hmm. for Hamilton um, back uh, in 1968. And so... This is people sometimes call the poor man's Carrera, um, although they are not that poor man's watch anymore, sadly, no. just like the, <laughs> the military watch, the prices went up. So 7730 Volgi, for those of you who don't know, this is the, um, it's basically the same as you, Mike, talked about. So these are pretty bulletproof movements, but they are not sexy at all. They have no date. I think it should be a 7734, 33, 34, not sure, 34, definitely with a date function. So these are just um, three o'clock and nine o'clock subdial, two register chronographs uh, with um, round 36 millimeter case, pump pushers. And they then served uh, as inspiration, not only for the, the Intramatic that I have, but also for the Caliber 11 versions. Like you kind of mentioned the Fontainebleau in, in connection with your um, Odyssey 2001 piece. So the look was the, the inspiration. And then there was a chronograph A and a chronograph B version. The chronograph A is the classic uh, panda, so white dial and black subdials. And the chronograph B was the black dial and white subdials um, version of this vintage beauty. That's uh, a great pick. And mm. I still remember, boy, I think it was on... Um, Oh, the uh, what is the uh, forum that Jeff Stein runs? On the dash. Yeah, but his um, chrono. Gosh, what is the forum? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, Jeff. Anyhow, there, there's a uh, you know, there's a a marketplace on there. <laughs> I yeah. remember this guy was selling the two register version that you've mentioned, and there was a three register version. And did that use the Valju 72? I believe. 
in any case, he had two separate listings and he was selling these watches and me being me, you know, loving to collect sort of a series of things. I was so tempted to buy both of these, but at that time, I think they were trader. Yeah. Chrono trader. And they were already, you know, 2,500 bucks or so. And I just, you know, couldn't justify basically Mm. spending 4,500 on two watches and, but you rarely see these. They're they're just not that common. Uh, no, and not at all. I think just a classic looking chronograph. So, what it what did what do they cost now? For example, the seventy seven thirty. I think it's around two and a half to three grand. Yeah. So I think it must have used the seventy seven thirty six then the three register version. Yeah, because the seven this seven seven thirty. I'm not sure if I would pay three grand for a seven seven thirty when you can buy a Walter seventy two for cheaper mm. than that. As far as I'm concerned, um, Hoyer or not Hoyer, um, that's not that's just not my price range. But in any case, these are these are beautiful watches. You can find the the reference number and the serial number in between the lugs, like you would have with other Hoyer models and also Rolex models and many other models. So you can see the reference number and also the serial number. But yeah, if you can get it, you can always get the the modern version, which I just mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is what I have. And today, Zenith is making both a mecha- like a uh, automatic and a manual wine version, right? Hamilton. Sorry, Hamilton. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Indeed. Although I have the, the the automatic version, but they also have a manual wine version, indeed. Yeah, yes. Which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So. Seriously. Those are great picks, Balash. And yes, too. I feel like um, Hamilton has such a breadth of models, historically speaking. You know, when we talk to Certina, certainly they do as well as, as Tissot. Hamilton really runs the gamut from sports watches to dress watches. Um, you know, they were even involved with Pulsar with the um, with the wild digital watch, right, that was in yep. uh, James Bond movie with Indeed. Roger Moore. Indeed. And... Also, some really other other cool chronographs. The countdown one with four four different pushers, and yeah. they did that that remake. We didn't talk about the Ventura, but yeah, the Pan America, Pan America, really really neat watches. I think the one thing that Hamilton doesn't really have a ton of historically, other than the watch you brought up, are a lot of divers. Divers, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I've seen a few like from the 70s, some electronic ones, but they're not really heavy divers. They're more like uh, sports divers. They look like divers, but they don't have a water resistance rating or anything. So they weren't really made for, for you know, professional divers. And it's kind of odd that they that, that's the one space that they don't really, they didn't really play in. So I, I guess maybe they did the, the super compressor. They didn't sell, as you said. And then yeah. they were like, "Yeah, let's let's focus on what we know and go back yeah. to chronographs and stuff." Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But you know, if you're looking for a nice '50s dress watch, you can go hunt on eBay, for example, and just put in vintage Hamilton watch and just spend hours, literally, looking at at these things. And if you're the kind of person who fancies getting a U.S. made watch then look at one of those 50s pieces and it's it's pretty neat to have a, a little wristwatch on your wrist that was built solely in America, uh, something that really doesn't happen today. So I think a uh, lot, lot to explore there. Yeah, definitely, definitely on the vintage and also on the new front. Um, I think there a lot of their uh, re-editions or, or heritage models, whatever you, you call them, um, they, they are, you know, hitting it out of the park, especially with the PSR, as you said, mentioned the Pulsar one. PSR um, is a very neat watch, the LED watch. Uh, these chronographs, the, the the khaki field mechanical is everybody's favorite. I have the normal one. I think you have the, the normal one, the regular steel one as well. I had the, um, the bronze in for review, and I know that Maybe there might be some new stuff coming on that front, or I hope at least. So there's there's a bunch of stuff from from the brand, vintage yeah. or modern. They're always a company now that I look forward to seeing their releases. There was a really tough period there where they were making a lot of 
kind of big and ugly stuff and a lot of quartz and and now they've really dug in and like a lot of the swatch group brands are they're making some really really great pieces that are also very affordable too totally agree and they're lovely people too we know them all yeah well balash that's all i've got to say today yeah we came to an end that was um that was a nice episode i liked uh i liked uh to to dig into the hamiltons i guess i had the usual suspects and you had some very clever picks from from way back and also from the 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 depth of the funky catalogs which i don't dare to dive that deep so very cool picks i uh, would say uh, well on both your and my end and um, looking forward to the next episode with some interesting watches from another brand. Well, thanks, Balash. I, uh, I I enjoyed coming together today. And with that, Mike is out. Balash is out. <laughs>